talk radio for inquisitive people. Solace Radio, Bonavista, Colorado. Well, let's begin our Torah study. Before we do, we want to pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about being a partner with God and repairing the broken world. How many of you can confirm this world is broken? And every day we get confirming information that the the whole world system is broken. And just when you think you've heard it all, there's one more thing or two more things or ten more things that happens. And I want you to understand something. The world is broken and God is the only one who can fully renew it. But he wants to use you and me to help bring restoration. He will do something at the end of days that will utterly transform this whole created universe. But in the meantime, he's working not just on his own, but he's working through you and me. We're called to be servants of his restoration. Now, some of us like to work with broken things or old things or things that once were really in great shape but aren't. Uh, Is there anybody here who's rebuilt a car? Was it fun? Yeah. And anybody rebuilding a house? Is it fun? No, not so much. (laughs) It's a lot of work. How many people, let's see, have ever had to rebuild a house or to restore it or renew it or whatever? About half of us have. Restoration and renewal are really part of life. And maybe maybe you're living in a fixer-upper. Who can relate to that? Or you wish it were that good. Not only houses, not only cars need to be restored. Some people restore furniture, restore antiques, restore cars or clothes, Some, or software, restoring software. You've got to fix the broken parts of software, right? Some people specialize in restoring businesses or organizations or or congregations, or people. And the fact is, whether you're a specialist or not, whether you feel called to restoration and renewal and repair, God will put you in a place that's broken that needs restoration, that needs repair. And it can be a surprise to you until you really get your heart around it. Now, there's another side to this, which is there are people in our lives who who are broken. They have broken relationships. They have broken emotions, broken spiritual lives, broken economics, broken ways of thinking. How many of you can relate to that? And you care about such people, and you want to see them restored. You want to see them renewed. You're praying for them for breakthroughs. You're praying for people... Who are hurt that they would be healed. You're praying for people who are sick that they would also be healed. And God is the one who puts this care into your heart. He is the source of all love. 
And when you notice people and you think about them with care and concern, you're connecting with the Lord. You are connecting with um, His unique quality. You don't invent love, you receive love. But because you receive the love of God, you can love as well to other people. Now one of the themes of this week's Torah portion, I believe, is, a, is repairing and renewing how God works to repair and how he renews the brokenness in the world is described in this first reading from Leviticus Vayikra. Now, you can turn there. We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 4 and, and chapter 5, a few verses there and some related scriptures. And these particular passages that, that I want to focus on deal with sin and sacrifice. And it's possible when you read these when you read these chapters that you'll think that they don't apply to you, they're very distant because they're talking about animal sacrifices, they're talking about the whole system of blood sacrifice from uh from Sinai. And some people read these things and they say, "Oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. It has no application to me." But I want you to understand a few things as we're reading this. These sacrifices are not just about animals and blood. They're about being reconciled to God, being restored to God. And everyone needs restoration. And when we're thinking about animal sacrifices, remember this. The blood sacrifices are now complete in Messiah Yeshua. So whenever you're thinking about the sacrifice that Yeshua has provided for you, the atoning sacrifice, I want you to understand that every component of the blood sacrifices that we read about is summed up in Messiah Yeshua and provided for him. You don't need another temple to be built and animal sacrifices. You have, through your faith and your trust in God, you have the sacrifices of Messiah Yeshua as atoning sacrifices for you. Now, in this passage, there are some fascinating aspects about sin that we're going to look at. And the, 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 first, the first thing I, I just want to underline is this. The, the passages we'll focus on are describing sins that different kinds of people or even all kinds of people can do. There's one, one verse that says, when you sin. Can you say that with me? When you sin. How many can relate to that? When you sin. It doesn't say if you sin. When you sin. Now, when we start following God, we have a lot to learn. We have to learn about God. We have to learn about his ways. We have to learn what he loves and what he hates. We have to learn about the life of faith. We have to learn about how to have a relationship with God and how to learn about the ways that he works for redemption. His ways of redeeming and reconciling, repairing and renewing. And we have to relate how, we have to learn about how God wants us to relate to one another, to relate to the community of faith and to relate as well to the world at large. Now, this passage begins with this simple Hebrew word, vayikra. Can you say that with me? Vayikra. 
It, it means, and he calls. You see, God calls out. It's interesting that it uses this term as it's describing a, a, a series of passages on sin. It could say, and God said, or God spoke, but it says he calls out. Now think about the difference between just speaking and calling out. Uh, Heather, you're sitting next to your mom. You don't have to call out to her. You can even whisper to her. You can even mouth things, and she can see what you're saying, and she can understand. But when there's some distance, you have to call out, hey, David, hey. We call out in order to bridge a distance between us and another person. So this starts with this statement, God calls out, and that suggests something. It suggests that there's distance. And he's calling out in order to reach those who are at some distance from him. And his goal is that they can hear and that they can respond. One of the great promises of God is that you can hear him. Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me and I know them. But this passage is sort of a down and dirty kind of uh, reading in scripture because it talks about sin. When you sin, you see, that's a theme I want to focus on. We all miss the mark. We all sin. We all fall short. Everyone needs mercy and forgiveness. Can you confirm that? Have you ever had to apologize to someone when you didn't quite feel like it? Have you ever apologized and your apology wasn't accepted? I've had that experience. Uh, have you ever tried to force a child to apologize? I had to do that with uh, in, in, a, in a situation. It wasn't really force them. I had to persuade them. To persuade a disrespectful child to apologize to their parent who deserved respect. And the child said, well, I don't feel like it. And I thought, well, that's honest. <laughs> but that won't really get you very far in this world, will it? <laughs> if you're not going to do... <laughs> There's more to it. There's more to it. So I thought about it, and I realized he's not just going to feel like apologizing. So I, I took him aside, and I said, your, your, your father deserves respect, and you were disrespectful. And you'll never go wrong apologizing when you're disrespectful. You'll never go wrong when you realize that you did something that was disrespectful to your parents, and you apologize for it, and you set your heart on being respectful. And I said to this child, after you do this, maybe your heart will begin to feel right. Sometimes you have to, you have to command your soul to do the things that are right. Am I correct? Sometimes we have to exercise a spiritual discipline with ourselves. We say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Why do we do that? Because sometimes the soul is distracted. Sometimes the soul is thinking about something else. We have to take authority over our being with the spirit man or woman that God has created us to be. And so as I was preparing this, this uh, child to, to call his father, I said, can you sound convincing? And he said, I think so. 
<laughs> well, the fact was he wasn't completely convincing. But a few hours later, he was getting some relief. You see, that's sometimes what happens when you do the right thing to make things right. Even if you don't start with the emotion, the emotions can develop. And you start feeling the freedom that comes when you make things right. Now, let's start in Leviticus chapter 4. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel, if anyone sins inadvertently against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning anything. So if anyone sins inadvertently, all of us can do that. We can sin inadvertently. We can sin unintentionally. Now then it goes on in Leviticus 4, verses 13 and 14. Incidentally, you can find all these scriptures. Uh, I posted them online on our Facebook page for uh, Messianic Jewish teachings, for Beth Israel, and even on my personal Facebook page. So you can follow along. We may not get through all of them, but I've got all the references and the full text there. This is Leviticus 4.13. If the entire community of Israel, if the whole congregation, if all the Jewish people makes a mistake with the congregation being unaware of the matter and they do something against any of the commandments, any of the misvotes of the Lord concerning things which should not be done, they are guilty. Can you say that with me? They are guilty. When the sin they have committed becomes known, then the assembly is to offer, and it goes into details of the sacrifice. You see, there are times when everybody can be ignorant of a matter and not recognize its sin, and then somehow they begin to discover it. And when they discover it, what are they to do? They're to recognize that they committed a sin. When, when we first come to the Lord, if we come as adults, we may look back at our life without the Lord and recognize all sorts of things that we have regrets about. And it may not stop there. It may be that years later we'll look back and we'll think about things. There may be things that we didn't even think about clearly that happened during our life of uh, faith in God. Things that we did, things that maybe we didn't mean to do or we didn't intend to do, but we did. And we begin to see them more clearly and we realize that was sinful too. And what are we to do? We're to acknowledge it. It goes on, Leviticus 4, verses 22 and 23. When a leader sins and inadvertently does something against any of the mitzvot, any of the commandments of Adonai concerning things which should not be done, he is guilty. Say that with me. He is guilty. If the sin which he committed becomes known to him, he's to bring us his offering, and then it goes into this. It goes into the details. So there you've got a leader, and then Leviticus 5, verses 2 through 5, when a person touches something unclean, the carcass of an unclean wild animal, a domestic animal, or reptile, he's guilty, even though he may not be aware that he's unclean. If he touches human uncleanness, no matter what the source of his own uncleanness is, and if he's unaware of it, then when he learns of it, he's guilty. If someone allows to slip from his mouth an oath to do evil, 
or an oath to do good, and he doesn't remember that he clearly spoke this oath, then no matter what it was about, when he learns of it, he's guilty. You see, some things slip out of our mouths. We don't even give them much heed. And then later on, we remember, we remind, we're reminded of it. Someone tells us. And what are we to do? We're to say, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, it's true. I am guilty. Now, these are the kinds of sins that I think we can all relate to. Because we can all say things like this, I didn't know, I didn't understand, I didn't mean to, it wasn't my intention. We can all relate to those kinds of sins, but the interesting thing and the most important thing is we don't say that as an excuse We say that because now we recognize that's an accurate description because we know now. And once we know now, we're not shirking our responsibility or our guilt. We're confessing it. Many people live as if the scripture says, if you deny your guilt, he's faithful and just to forgive you. But the scripture says, if you confess your sin... He's faithful and he's just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So this is not about denial. This is about admission to God. And there can be a delay between the time we sin and the time we admit. But once we admit, the question is, okay, so what do we do with our guilt? And and the answer is, we need to be honest with God about our guilt Because the guilt separates us. The guilt keeps us from being close. The guilt uh, can work in us where we feel like we can't pray. We can't talk to God. We can't be open. When, When you have a child who's guilty and ashamed, they tend to hang their head. They don't want to look at you in the eye. They don't want to talk straight to you. Maybe they start piling one sin upon another sin upon another. Have have you ever had to deal with uh, the archaeological work of getting through the layers of lies with someone? This lie, this lie, this lie, this lie. And then finally you get to the bottom and you can say, okay, now here's the truth. There's this human tendency to lie to God rather than to be honest with him. When we're ashamed, we can see Adam, we can understand how Adam hid himself. The Lord comes close to Adam. What does Adam do? He goes into hiding. He covers himself. He also uh, wants to shirk responsibility. He doesn't come to God and say, thank you so much for coming close. I need that. Let me tell you what I just did. I'm so ashamed. It's more like this. She did it. I was just with five grandkids. I love them. But it reminds me of human nature. When when you're with a lot of children together, especially boys who can be physical with each other. And years ago, I remember this one incident where... Two, two grandsons are yelling, they're getting physical with each other, then it turns into crying, and then one of them runs to a parent, he hit me. 
And the other one says, well, he hit me first. So I learned when such a thing happens, I gather them up and I say, okay, so he hit you, right? Yeah, but he hit me first, right? Okay, so now we know you're both guilty. So we're going to deal with that. And of course, they're not ready for that. They're trying to say, I'm innocent, he's guilty. That's part of human nature, isn't it? That we're trying to shift the blame to someone else or something else. If we can't do that, we try to deny it. So God calls out because he wants us to come clean with him, and he has a way to make us clean. That's the point. And when we get clean with God... It takes a heavy weight off of us. We can fellowship with him. We can feel close to him. That's why it's so important to run to God when you're in trouble, not to run away from him. That's why we need sacrifices to cover the sin. Now, think about the feelings you have when the highway patrol or the police officer pulls up behind you with his lights on. What... How many of you just have a sudden surge of joy? <laughs> oh, hallelujah, the police are on patrol. How do you feel when he passes you and his lights are on? It's like, oh, Whew. But when he, he pulls up behind you and it's really clear you need to pull over. And then his car's behind your car. This did not happen while I was driving recently, I'm just telling you. I'm remembering moments. And there's that time of waiting while they're still in their police car, their trooper's vehicle. They're checking you out, right? And then you're probably thinking, oh no, it's not probably warm, fuzzy feelings. And do you remember those feelings that come when you roll your window down and the officer asks the question? Do you know the question? Do you know why I stopped you? How many of you have ever been asked that question? Can we see a show of hands? Some of you have never been asked that question. Wow, that's amazing. Do you have a driver's license? <laughs> And they say, do you know why I stopped you? And you say, oh, yeah, thank you so much. What a blessing that you stopped me because I need so much help and I didn't know where to turn, but now you're here. You must be a godsend. That's not what we're thinking. We're thinking, how fast was I going? I remember being stopped once and the officer said, do you know why I stopped you? And I said, I think I was going way too fast. And he said, oh, you were. Do you know how fast you were going? And I said, I have no idea and I'm afraid to find out. And he told me how fast I was going. It wasn't 20 miles over the speed limit. It was like 40 over. Because I'd been on a road that was like 55 and it dropped to 35 and I had a delayed response, you know, like an extra couple of miles. <laughs> and I was, you know, like trying to measure the traffic and how fast we could go. And I must have been going, I mean, it was, I don't even want to say, it must have been 70, 75 or something. 
And the officer said, that's too fast. And I said, you are so right. And I told him the truth. I said, I just got this car two days ago. And it's faster than what I'm used to. And it just got away from me. And I just, I said, I am really sorry. And he said to me, I'm going to write you up a warning. I'm not going to give you a ticket. But I can tell you this, as long as you're in our state, I want you to drive our speed limit. I said, yes, sir. And I was on a two-lane road. I drove 35 when everybody else had been going 55. And traffic accumulated behind me for a mile, almost two miles. And when we got to four lanes, people were cursing me as they passed me. And I just said, okay, I learned my lesson. You see, they pull us over usually because it's a violation that we've committed, right? Though once I got pulled over, but it wasn't a violation. Sandy and I were in D.C. And we got pulled over by, the, by a police officer. And he said a really simple thing. He said, do you need help? Because you look like you need help. And what he saw was that we had, this was before GPS. We had a map and we were like turning it upside down, trying to find where we were. And trying to locate ourselves, and it's like a spaghetti in the area we were, a can of worms. We couldn't figure out where we were, so we couldn't figure out where to turn, and so we were like driving erratically, and the map was like getting in front of our faces. And he said, I I think you're lost. And we said, we are so lost. And he said, where are you trying to get to? We described it to him, and he said, follow me, I'll take you there. Wasn't that nice? It, it, was, it was more like the three stooges were driving a car at that moment, but he was, he was kind to us. The Lord pulls us over, not to convict us. He already knows we're guilty. He pulls us over in order to restore us and to teach us and, and to help us learn that we may fall short, but we can learn from that situation. We may have sinned, but we can learn in order not to keep repeating it. What's important, don't run away from the Lord when he's showing us that. Just like you know when the police are trying to pull you over, it is not a good idea to try to outrun them. When God pulls you over, you may be embarrassed, you may be ashamed, you may be disappointed, but... Draw close to him. Roll your window down. Tell him the truth. And then, remember this, he's coming not to judge us, but to restore us. If he wanted to judge us, there would be no sacrifice that could cover our sin. Do you get that? He'd find you guilty and say, okay, you're so guilty. There's no hope for you. But just like in the days of old there was a sacrifice, now there is a sacrifice, a better sacrifice, Yeshua. And this, is, this, this passage is to help us remember what to do when we discover something that falls short in God's eyes. What to do when we realize we're not living up to his standards, maybe not even to our own standards. And we may say, I didn't know or I didn't intend to. That can be honest, but that's not the excuse. It's only an explanation. 
What we need to do is take that step beyond and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Because I want to become more like you. I want to be renewed. I want to be transformed. You see, we're honest with God when we admit our sins to him. And we don't try to shift the blame off of ourselves, but we take responsibility. Now, this whole passage is not for people who reject the sovereignty and authority and the goodness of God. Not for people who live in rebellion to God, but for people who honestly want to be disciples of the Lord. And yet who find that they fall short. You and I aren't perfect. You and I will sin. You and I will fail, sometimes inadvertently. Sometimes we just give in to our our lesser nature, if you will, to our appetites and our impulses and so forth. And we need to respond to God when he comes to us. His Holy Spirit will minister to us. Now this is what we learn. When we learn how God works to restore us and to repair us, it teaches us so that we can work and relate with other people in the same way that God relates to us. God's not just trying to find you guilty in order to sentence you. He wants to restore you. And when you receive restoration from God, it enables you to be useful to restore other people. When God's merciful with you, you can be merciful to others. When God heals you, you can encourage other people and pray for their healing. When God is patient with you, you can be patient with others. Yeshua tells a terrible parable about those who don't show forgiveness even though they were forgiven. They're turned over to the tormentors, he says. There's a torment that comes to us when we don't show people the mercy, the forgiveness that God has shown us. Now next week we're going to be celebrating Purim. And Esther, Esther learned that God had a plan to fix the broken world that she was living in. And her elevation as queen was all about God wanting her to serve him at a time of danger and a time of darkness and a time of threat. She was tempted to look out for herself and to forget what God wanted. But I can tell you this, you and I are not called to hide from the problems of the world and we're not called to just curse the broken world. We're called to minister to the broken world. We're called to serve the Lord in this broken world that we're living in. We're called to bring light, God's light and God's love, so that God can do his work of renewal and restoration and spread it. How many of us were sinners? Still are. Still are. But we're not in rebellion. We're, we're submitted to God even though we continue to fall short, even though we're imperfect. And how many can say God has been patient with us? This helps us understand we can be patient with others. We can help others. 
And from the abundance of mercy and love and restoration that we've experienced, you know what? We can give out to other people the exact same kind of thing. There's a phrase in Hebrew, tikkun alam. It means to mend the world or repair the world or even to complete it in its imperfections. And you and I are called to serve tikkun alam, to serve the, the repairing and the restoration of the world. In your heart is a yearning for, a desire for, and an expectation of a coming perfected world. But now it's not in that condition. We yearn for it. We hope for it. We pray for it. But in the meantime, we have to work as servants of the Lord to bring about any kind of repair that we can do, any kind of restoration. Yeshua's atoning sacrifice is so important. And as we are preparing next week to be surrounded, to be surrounded by uh, Christians who will be celebrating the death and resurrection of Messiah. Uh, I was thinking about this. Every week we're celebrating the resurrection of Messiah. Every week we're proclaiming God's power to resurrect the dead. Every week. Because this is our life. This is our hope. This is the, the secret of the new covenant. Yeshua's atoning sacrifice is so important, but his ministry goes far beyond that. He rose from the dead. He returned to heaven in order to send his Holy Spirit so that the Spirit of God could renew you and could clean you up and give you power as servants of Messiah. God put Esther in just the right place at just the right time in order to bring about his plan to preserve and renew the Jewish people. And he does something like that with you. He saves you. And he calls you to be an agent of Messiah, to be an agent of resurrection life and renewal. Because there are other people in your life who need healing who need forgiveness, who need encouragement, who need compassion, who need what you've got and what you've experienced, and you can be the answer to their prayers. Yeshua said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you. You and I are not only called, we're sent into this world. If God only wanted to save you and that's all he wanted to do, he'd save you and then you'd go to heaven immediately just like that. That'd be the end. It's like, okay, as soon as you are saved from your sin, you're removed. Why doesn't that happen? Because God wants to save you so he can use you. He wants to save you in order to transform you and make you a new creation so that you can spread his good news. And it's not just being religious, it's being kind. It's not just being a spiritual person, it's doing the work of the Spirit that benefits other people as well. The Lord saves us and makes us new creations, and then he puts us right back in the broken world that he saved us from. Now, maybe you've been thinking this world stinks. How many have felt that? The smell of death is like all over the world. But I tell you this, 
you're called to be a pleasing aroma in the midst of this broken world. And you're like incense that changes the aroma all around you. God wants to smell you. Do you smell good? Are you praising the Lord? Are you living a life of service to him? You'll smell good. And you know what? Not only will you smell good, you'll bring him into broken situations, broken lives, and his fragrance will touch other people. I want to encourage you to do your part. I want you to remember that there are times, Passover gives us a model for this, where God wants to just take us out of bad situations. And Purim gives us another model, that God wants us to stay in a bad situation, and then he'll change the situation. And he'll remove what's bad, and he'll do that through the people who are faithful to him. And he'll work through their faith and through their faithfulness. Now, you may be in a situation that God wants to change, and he wants to change it by you staying put and being a man or woman of faith, a child of faith who makes a difference. And I want to encourage you, as you're getting ready for Purim, eat your hamantashen, play your games, dress up, but remember this, that God has a plan to renew and restore, and it includes you. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for Purim that's coming. Thank you for the resurrection life that you've called us to in Messiah Yeshua. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who's given to us that we could serve you in this broken world. And we could be people who bring renewal and restoration and hope to the world that has lost its way. Lord, we want to serve you all the days of our life. We want to be faithful to you. We thank you for the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua who has secured for us forgiveness and reconciliation with you. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Happy birthday. Can you join me in saying happy birthday, Michael? You You didn't expect that right now, did you? Okay, good. (laughs) He's glowing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.